Hello and welcome to Learning Rewired Flash Insights, a selection of key takeaways from HeadSpring's Learning Rewired podcast. My guest today is Professor Bina Candola, business psychologist, senior partner, and co-founder of Pern Candola. Bina, welcome. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. Can you perhaps talk me through it? What is the difference between diversity and inclusion? Yeah, I, I once heard the difference described as diversity is counting the numbers and inclusion is making the numbers count. Mm -hmm. So you can have diversity without inclusion mm -hmm. and you can have no diversity, but a lot of inclusion. Mm -hmm. So they're related, but they're not the same. Mm -hmm. And so the, the diversity is more about the composition of the people that we have in front of us and inclusion is what we do with those people. Mm -hmm. So at this age, I mean, diversity is, for many organizations, often a tick box exercise. What is the result of that when we have this diversity, but no inclusion or less inclusion? I think too often it is a tick box. It, 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 too often it's a tick box exercise. You know, we the organizations will set a target of a required number of X people, mm -hmm. and then they won't actually think about what that means in terms of how those people are valued, respected, trusted, involved in the organization. And it's a real problem. And they're encouraged to do this, ironically, by, uh, by awards. Mm -hmm. And actually setting targets is one of the kind of key components of many of these standards. And so you're encouraged to go down this route without anybody ever evaluating, is this, is this the right thing for us to be doing? Mm -hmm. Do you have any examples recently or in your work that you can point to where it hasn't been the right thing to do? Where it's been very clearly shown up that a heightened focus on diversity at the expense of inclusion leads to negative business outcomes. Oh, you can you can look at many instances actually. I'll give I'll give you a slightly different example actually, where, where an organisation set a target for X number of women in senior leadership, and they achieved the target. I was working with the board, the executive committee on this, and a few years later they found that the number of women had gone down, and they also found that the women they had appointed to those roles were appointing men for the roles beneath them. Right. So the women were appointing men and the men were appointing men. And that's because they had a fundamental misunderstanding about the way the bias operates. And there was, I'll give you another example. This is more about target setting, actually, mm -hmm. where I was working with a law firm. Uh, it's a well-known uh, law firm. And we looked at the number. So we're looking at why there were few women as partners. And the partner who was responsible for the diversity program. She was very engaged and very committed to the whole thing. And we were discussing this whole thing about target setting. And she decided not to set targets. Right. And then she told me, but a lot of other things happened in the meantime about how you, how you praise the lawyers, how you look at their contributions, how you balance up keeping an ongoing relationship with a client. So we looked at all these factors and then created a new set of criteria. Of course, partnership's important because you become an owner of the business. Mm -hmm. And then she told me, she contacted me about three or four years ago, and she said, we've appointed six new partners this year, six new partners this year, and they're all women. Then no target you would ever set, mm. no target would ever say 100% women. Mm -hmm. It all becomes restrictive, and yet that's what is considered to be good practice. And it's not good practice, it's common practice. And the, the diversity field, we mistake common practice with good practice all the time. The, the data seems to be really on the side of inclusion, isn't it? People who say they feel more included are more, more motivated, more engaged, and more productive. Mm. Right? People who are more included also experience a higher degree of psychological well-being, mm -hmm. and teams where you have an inclusive team, they are more resilient, so they're more able to recover from setbacks. So all the things organisations talk about, well-being, mental health, I mean, that's a big issue now, um, but, and resilience, that's what you get from being inclusive, as well as the, the other things about um, motivation, engagement, and productivity. 
that there's been a very strong link between inclusion and greater innovation. Mm -hmm. And in order to get innovation, you need trust, security, and you need support. Trust that actually I can raise my ideas, security that I can challenge other people on their ideas, and support to get the ideas implemented, right? And those are exactly the conditions you create when you create an inclusive team. It's sounding to me that without that inclusive environment, mm. the real benefits of diversity can't really be accessed successfully. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, if the positive number is 85%, the negative figure is 50%. Mm -hmm. So 50% of minorities say they feel they cannot be themselves at work uh, for fear of being judged in a stereotypical way. In this upcoming book that you've co-authored and edited uh, with your colleagues at Pern Candola, you discuss specifically inclusive leadership. Mm. What role does inclusive leadership have to play in addressing that particular issue? But we have to recognise that if you want to create an, in an inclusive environment, that leaders play a big huge part in this actually they set the tone mm -hmm. i think one of the conclusions i've drawn over many years kind of looking at this is that the context is really important the context and the culture and, the, and leaders help establish that they're not the only ones who drive that but actually they they help establish that so actually leaders looking at how they're coming across how they show up in this space is really critical and, and inclusive leadership for us inclusive leadership has three components one is about creating the inclusive culture so creating a sense of psychological safety, for example. Inclusive relationships. So actually, do people feel part of one team? Or through my, let's say I'm the leader, through my behaviour, have I created in-groups and out-groups within my own team? Mm -hmm. How do I handle divisions in the team? And the third part of it is fair decision-making. So how do I go about making my decisions? So those three component parts help to, and you want an overlap, an intersection of those three things, and that, that will make an inclusive leader. We spoke earlier about unconscious cognitive biases. Yeah. And those are almost kind of automaton assumptions that we have about the people that we're working with. Mm. What kind of assumptions or beliefs, conscious or unconscious, underpin inclusive leadership? For example, the way we assess performance. Mm. Once you're in an organisation, the way we assess performance then becomes the way of identifying future leaders and the development that they then receive. Mm -hmm. So how do we assess performance? And we think we're objective. Mm -hmm. So I'm very objective in the way that I assess everybody's performance and so everybody gets a fair shake, basically. And we don't. If you've got a man and a woman, for example, just staying with gender just for the moment, if you've got a man and a woman behaving in equally leader-like ways, right, the, a man will be more likely to be described as assertive, task-focused, getting the job done. Mm -hmm. A woman will be described, behaving in the same way, mm -hmm. will be described as aggressive, got sharp elbows and behaving like a man. Mm -hmm. So on the one, it's seen as a positive and the other, it's seen as a negative. So this idea that we're objective in the way that we evaluate people it just, just doesn't bear up. Mm. But how, how we evaluate success varies. So we did some work where there was a, it's a global IT software organisation, very few women in senior leadership roles. Not unusual in that regard. And they asked us to look into why that was the case. Mm -hmm. And um, so we asked the senior leaders, can you describe to us a successful direct report and tell us why you think they're successful? Right, so they did that. And they wrote these descriptions, we took them away and we looked at them separately for men and women. And we found the men, uh, their, their success was due to their competence, capability, motivation. The women's success was attributed to good team, good boss and luck. Right. 
And this is a very common finding, actually. And that, so in, in the jargon, it was an internal attribution for the men. There was something about the men mm -hmm. that made them successful. It was an external attribution for the women. Mm -hmm. It was something in the environment that made them successful. And got, if that's your starting point, everything thereafter becomes logical. So if I promote this man, everything that makes him successful, he will take with him into the next role. Mm -hmm. His confidence, competence, determination to take the next role. The woman, if I promote her, she will leave her boss behind. She'll leave her team behind. And how long can anybody be lucky? Mm -hmm. So the, the, even things like that start to impact without us actually realising it's even going on. So is an inclusive leader someone who is less biased or someone who is more willing to engage with the fact that they have natural biases and try to work with them? Yeah, it's more the latter. Um, I mean, they, they may be less biased because of, mm -hmm. they may be the former because of the latter. Mm -hmm. So they may become less biased because they're willing to open themselves up to the fact that I am biased. Is that a process that you actually see, a developmental process where increasing awareness of your biases basically dissipates them over time? Yeah, it worked with me. <laughs> it was a big lesson for me. There's a test you can take. It's developed by academics in America. So it's, uh, it's called the Implicit Association Test. You may be familiar with it. And I am a psychologist. It is a science, very logical, very disciplined, very rigorous, analytical. And I work in the diversity field. So I don't stereotype. I don't make assumptions. I don't judge people. So essentially, the fairest person in Britain. <laughs> I thought that when you walked through the Yeah, you could tell, couldn't you? Yeah, I look like it. Yeah. And uh, I took this test and it showed I had a bias associating good with Asian people. And that was a big lesson for me. And I realised that we're all in the same position. And the, the difference being... And not that some people are biased and others aren't. The difference really is that some people are prepared to acknowledge that they're biased, whereas some people don't. Mm -hmm. And ironically, the research shows the people, who, the people who think they are not biased are the most biased. So taking that awareness to people and to an extent challenging them with the fact that they have a bias perhaps in a certain direction is a very difficult process to engage with. There's a lot of resistance that comes up often. It depends how you get the message across. Mm -hmm. Making people feel ashamed of how they've made decisions in the past or some of the implicit attitudes they hold is not a way to progress. Mm -hmm. The leaders have the most important role. And then beyond that, it's up to everybody in the group then to tell one another when we're, when we're stepping out of line because the, the leader can't be everywhere on every occasion. So actually then it's up to all of us then to uphold the values that the leader has expressed and endorsed. Mm -hmm. I alluded at the beginning to this kind of broader context for us as in this country, in Europe, in the world, this, this conflict between globalization, which is almost this enforced diversity and inclusive pressure. There's this real sense that there's more conflict between people drawing lines on, on principle of difference. Mm. So that's a sense that, that a lot of people feel, and there's a lot mm. of tension attached to that. Do you think that's making it more difficult for businesses and organizations and even just individuals in general to take those kind of intentional steps towards being more inclusive and more connected to people in diverse situations? Yeah, it's a really good question. I don't think the current context makes any difference at all. Mm. So people will say, for example, that on ethnicity, that Brexit, Right. And the, all of the discussion about migrants and immigration and all that kind of stuff, that's just made the situation for minorities even worse. Mm -hmm. And the police have reported um, you know, a spike in race hate crimes and that. So I get that, kind of the more explicit expression we get more of. Mm -hmm. But in terms of uh, decision making, who gets promoted, who, who gets recruited, there's been no change on that over many years. 
So just finally, to almost wrap up on this, I mean, is there a danger that we become too focused on this? I mean, there's a real value and necessity of becoming aware of diversity and our own biases and yeah. the way these are hampering our yeah. engagement with people and also limiting other people's potential yeah. development. Is there a potential that people can get too wrapped up in this and get too sensitive? Yeah. And actually become almost paralyzed yeah. by the fear of saying something that's offensive oh. or doing something that's offensive. Or... Yeah. In fact, I think in effect what, what psychologists have found is this attitude of suppressing discussion mm-hmm. is in fact creating new biases mm-hmm. or it's a new way of the biases being deepened. Mm-hmm. Because actually not discussing these things doesn't make the attitude go away. Because we're not talking about that, and you can't challenge me on my biases, for example, it means that my biases stay the same. They may possibly even get worse because I'll have a resentment. I can't talk about these things in the workplace anymore. Now, it's difficult to talk about these things in the workplace. I get that. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, not talking about them is not a solution. Yeah. We did a survey last year looking at um, racial incidents in the workplace. And we found that the most effective action you could take to deal with racist incidents in the workplace was actually dealing with it in the moment. Don't go to your line manager. Don't go to, definitely go to HR. That was the least effective thing you could do. Mm-hmm. But you deal with it at the moment. The issue was they didn't actually recognize the more subtle forms of behavior as being racist. So it's an mm. educational point mm. as opposed mm. to we're, you're all racist. Do you, mm. you see what I mean? Yeah. And so if this is about creating an environment where people are selected, assessed, appraised, and developed and promoted on the basis of their talent, that's what this is. And then we will actually make sure that everything we can do to ensure that this happens, and people don't have a problem with that. Yeah. And then finally, in working with this and taking this into organisations and taking this to people and trying to develop this mature, robust approach to creating fairness and inclusion and getting a lot of buy-in in that, mm. am I understanding correctly that there's some work to be done in depersonalizing this, mm. in, in kind of pointing to these patterns or these trends and saying, well, it's not because you are this kind of person that you have these kind of biases that we need to fix you. Mm. It's more about we all have biases of mm. some kind mm. or another. And it's about being able to connect with them in an accepting way mm. and then move on. Yeah. Yeah. And to keep the discussion going. You can do it in a way which people will accept as long as there's some logic behind it and they can understand. And it's not about replacing one set of biases with another set of biases because mm. they just have to be acceptable at this moment in time. Mm. Bina Kandola, thank you very much. Really enjoyed that conversation and thank thank you you for your insights. It's a great pleasure, thank you. You have been listening to Flash Insights, a collection of key takeaways from guests on Headspring's Learning Rewired podcast. For full episodes from Learning Rewired, as well as access to other episodes of Flash Insights, please subscribe to the Learning Rewired podcast.